0: Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? You probably should insert some really hip, really cool music here because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. But what we do have is news you're not going to find anywhere else easily. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell and I'm a prior Marine and journalist. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas and who was a big time history buff even before that, I care a lot about our military, where they're at where they might be going, what conflicts might be about to occur. Because these things matter. So if you're a military member, a spouse of a military member, or a parent or grandparent of a military member, this is probably a great show for you to subscribe to. I'll keep you updated on foreign policy issues, but I won't do it like you'll find everywhere else. First of all, the media almost never covers the military or looming hotspots. But if and when they do, they overhype everything and they scare you and they use lots of b-real video with explosions and flashing graphics their biggest desire is eyeballs and ad dollars I promise you and you can check the past year of archived editions I do not overhype, exaggerate, or do any of that if anything I almost downplay it's a steady and calm voice that you'll find here but on the flip side Foreign policy journals that do cover what we do also fall way short in my opinion. Their articles are far too long, they're far too dense, and they're crammed with big words, technical mumbo-jumbo, and silly acronyms that only insiders truly know. So I couldn't find a show that met my needs, so I decided to create one. Once a week, I'll discuss military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. Besides covering this news and also trying to build you up and encourage you with plenty of motivation at the end of each episode, I also work as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So, once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive politicians and broadcast hosts who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and ad dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Oh, and if you want to, insert some really hip really cool music in your head, because apparently that's the only way you can have a successful podcast these days. This is the December 1st edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. My goodness, I can't believe it's already December. Um, But putting that aside, uh, we'll make sure we cover lots of news in this edition, including news about Ukraine, China, Iran, plus maybe some other things if we get to it. And then as always, we'll end with our motivation and wisdom section. Uh, I'm going to be recording this one and putting it out just a bit early. Um, Be coming out on Wednesday. And that's because I close tonight, which with the day job that I work, I work 11 to 8. And normally I record it at night. So I got to put it out a little early instead of typical thursday time frame so coming to you a day early if this goes as planned and as my wife says back when she used to be a teacher you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit (laughs) so hopefully y'all don't mind it coming a day early and i say all of that jokingly uh just a few quick little things i wanted to mention before we get into the news first um i wanted to uh, give a quick mention, and I won't say the gentleman's last name because I didn't get his permission, but I got an email from a gentleman named Gary C., and uh, he said, Stan, love the podcast, love what you're doing. Uh, do you do Venmo, perhaps? As the regular listeners know, you can sign up through Substack and Patreon to provide a small $5 a month donation if you want to, and I was like, wow, I didn't even think about Venmo. And so I uh, went in and set up a small business Venmo, which I really didn't even know much about. But since so many more people have Venmo, um, I do have that set up now. And so you can find that, that. And I guess I should give you the Venmo link. That Venmo link is at author Stan R. Mitchell. Again, that's at author Stan R. Mitchell. Apologies, can barely talk there. You can find the link on the Substack page or on the source notes. And so I threw that in there. So uh, really wanted to thank Gary C for bringing that to my attention. And then he was very generous and um, paid for basically the one year fees and $50 to help support the show. So that completely made my day. And so if you are on Venmo and you haven't donated, but would like to, then I obviously we appreciate that. But as I always say, you don't have to do that uh, I'm, I'm doing this for a lot of reasons and I really appreciate all the support I've already got. And I feel like what I'm doing is pretty important. So with that out of the way, I wanted to mention one other thing. I got an out of the blue email from someone who said, Stan, you have a gift for podcast slash radio. And I actually saved that comment in this, um, confidence file that I've created and worked on through the years as I've tried to become more confident with my writing and with the dreams I'm trying to chase. And that completely blew me away. And I'll tell you why, just real briefly. So, and the long-term listeners have probably picked up on this. But when I was in elementary school, I had to go to speech for a couple of years, at least. It kind of runs together, as all our childhoods does. But I still, to this day, struggle to say some words. And back then, I couldn't say my R's very well. And uh, I still to this day, I can barely say ST. So I always get nervous if I'm at any event where we have to introduce ourselves. As dumb as it sounds, I struggle to say my own name, the Stan. And so I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, my name is Stan Mitchell. Stan, Stan. How do I say it? Because most of the time, if I'm going like through a drive through or someone takes an order like Chick-fil-A, they say, what's the name? or if I'm on the phone with someone with my day job, everyone thinks my name is Sam because I can't say the T very well. So it always sounds like Sam Mitchell instead of Stan Mitchell. And so it's hard for me to say the STs and there are a few other little things I struggle with. And some of you guys have probably picked up on some of that as you've listened. And what you don't pick up on is some of the things I have to record multiple times because I will misstate a word. And with a lot of words, a lot of country names, a lot of presidential names, etc. cetera, especially the foreign ones, I'll go find the word, find how to pronounce it. And so I will say them like five or six times. And it's like Zelensky, Zelensky, Zelensky. And then, okay, I've got that down. Okay. Hit record again. And then I'll say president Zelensky and I'll say it as well as I can. And of course it doesn't help that I'm from the South and my, <laughs> my accent probably adds a little bit to it all as well. So Anyway, it made my day that this gentleman sent me that and said I had a gift for podcast and radio. As dumb as it sounds, it's uh, it's something I try to work at. It's something that actually makes me nervous as crap, which probably partly draws me to it because for whatever reason, I'm you know not a tall guy. I've always had what I jokingly call a small man syndrome. You tell me I can't do something and I'm going to join the Marines and I want to be infantry and then I want to be the best infantryman and then... Anytime you tell me I can't do something, for whatever reason, I try to do it. And so this is something that uh, I've worked really hard at my writing for a couple of decades. And so I feel like I'm a pretty decent writer, honestly. Um, And I, I have decent sales and 11 books out there to kind of prove that. But audio was something that always scared the crap out of me. But... As we've seen, podcasts have been just blowing up from Joe Rogan, you can name them all. The New York Times, all the media has been increasingly pushing into audio because we're all busy and so when you're driving on long drives or you're stuck at work or especially, you know, some folks work from home now or you're on the job site where you just you have mundane time, people listen to podcasts. They they've been taken off. And so I knew that even though this was something that scared me and would be challenging, I also knew that most podcasts are, you know, I don't know how to say it, but like they're attention seekers, they're loud, they're uh, they're constantly saying things to make news, they're, they're just like this unstable um, or destabilizing, just, I don't know, sugar high slash loud flashing lights and music and, Let's get everyone fired up, and can you believe and so said this and blah, blah blah, and the country's gonna come to an end, and this and this, and if this happens, and this and this and this, and let's get louder and louder, and and it's just like, whoa, guys, like chill out. Oh my word, what is happening? And so I couldn't really find what I wanted to find, and what I wanted to hear, and so I obviously decided to create this podcast, and. I knew I would have to venture into waters that I was not comfortable in, which is obviously speaking. So I try to talk slow. I try to say the words as best I can. But it really did. I'm not going to lie. Getting that compliment made my day because I don't know that I have a gift for it. Um, I think I would almost say I almost have a calling for what I'm saying and what I'm doing as far as trying to unite the country and highlight the military. But it is a, a format that I struggle with a bit. But I also it's, it's kind of like, I guess, riding a bull or, you know, people get uh, addicted to adrenaline highs, whether it's, you know, I got a couple buddies that ride motorcycles and they're like, man, I feel so alive because, you know, if you make one mistake, it's going to be a very bad day. And so people can get addicted to adrenaline highs. And I think for me, I still get really nervous and almost almost anxious when I do this. And yet it's also like, Stan, you got to do this. Like somebody's got to do this. You want to, you're going to be the one to do it. Or are you just going to like wish for something that doesn't exist? And so for whatever reason, I always have something to prove. And so I step forward and I try, but, um, it shouldn't be hard to do this, but it is kind of hard because you're sitting here looking at a speaker and you have no feedback and you just, you know, I'm in a, like a. I don't want to give away what I'm in, but I'm in a little makeshift studio and I've got lots of like absorbing material around me so that hopefully there's no echo and there's like things you got to get right and you got to get the right speaker. But man, it f- you feel so like it's almost like you're in a cockpit or something and you're just talking and the whole time you're like, is anyone listening to this? Does anyone even care? Like, wh- Who g- what gives me a right to even say this stuff? So you always have lots of doubt. And so I really appreciated that comment and obviously appreciated uh, Gary C. signing up. And so I really do appreciate all the support. And it's funny, you know, I always go over motivation and wisdom at the end. But half the time, all that stuff hits me first. So I'm chasing my own dreams. There are days I think I'm crazy. I'll never make it. I'll do whatever. And it's like. I'm no different than anyone out there. I'm, I I got to get up, I got to get, you know, put the saddle on the horse and do something that a lot of times I don't want to do or that may not in the short term pay off like I hoped or wished. And so you still got to do that. You still got to do the things that will get you where you want to go or what you feel called to do sometimes. And sometimes those pay off and sometimes they don't. They just need to be done. But okay, so I've rambled enough on that. Thanks again to everyone. We will we'll get straight to the news. I wanted to start the news with a bit of an overview based on a comment from a um, longtime like, foreign policy expert. Uh, Dr. Richard Haas put out a comment. He's a uh, the president of the Nonpartisan Council on Foreign Relations, but he served in the Pentagon, the State Department, and White House under four different presidents, both uh, Democrats and Republicans alike. But he put out a comment that was quite, it just made me think, and I'll just read it. He said a month ago, few would have predicted that POTUS, which is, of course, president of the United States, but so President Biden would face fewer and less significant domestic challenges than his opposite numbers in China, Russia and Iran. We have a great deal of work to do here, but inherent advantages of democracy are its safety valves and ability to adapt. And that comment just really had me thinking, because it is so true that a couple of months ago, the division in the U.S. seemed even worse than it probably ever been in at least, you know, I don't know, 50 years or so, definitely within my lifetime. And we had all the election stress, and how would it go, and would the House switch, would the Senate control change, lots of talk about Are the elections safe? And, um, you know, we thankfully got through that. And those who um, lost, they conceded. I think everyone's conceded except for one, uh, Cary Lake down in uh, Arizona. But we got through that and things just feel like the temperature has gone down some in America. Thank goodness, because it was definitely um, boiling and too hot. But since that happened, there's been these increasing protests, or I guess protests broke out in Iran first, and they've since broken out in China. And increasingly in Russia, there's now a movement among uh, mothers who have deployed husbands and sons in Ukraine that are increasingly speaking out. Some of them met with President Putin in the last week. So it is interesting how things change and that was the main point I wanted to make is that it's so challenging as you try to think about what might happen in history or in on the world stage and you know you think Russia is going to invade Ukraine here's the number of troops they have you know this is going to be over in days this is going to be bad and it doesn't go that way or you think as in this case that Things seem very, you know, unstable in America and these authoritarian regimes in China, Russia and Iran, they kind of have the power because people can't stand up to them and everyone's having to walk in step. And then that changes almost almost like overnight. Historically speaking, all of this happening within a few weeks is, or a couple of months, if you throw in the Iran thing, that is still a tremendous amount of things to happen in a short time. Now, we all know how all this will play out, but it is um, it is just something that it just makes me think that, you know, we how challenging it is to know what's going to happen in history and how little things can cause big things to happen. And uh, it's like, you know, trying to predict the NFL game. It never ceases to amaze me. I don't get into fantasy football. I certainly don't bet or anything like that. I've got friends who make little small bets and stuff. But I'll hear them say, you know, so-and-so should win, you know, this year, it's the Jets and various teams. The surprising teams are doing well, but there are still, even this year, there are teams that will have a you know a seven and one record going up against a two and six team or something. Just are just things that shouldn't happen that happen sometimes, and on paper it makes absolutely no sense. And so the world stage is a lot like that. It's very challenging to know what's going to happen, and so I always try to be careful when I make any kind of even light prediction because it's 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 challenging to do so and you often end up with egg on your face but with that out of the way and with all these protests happening let's start with Ukraine there's just a few quick things I want to say about the war in Ukraine there's been no major major news in that time there were some videos that went viral from the eastern front which is the Donbass region on Twitter and um and it's because the photos are so gripping. And it involves... I put them in the source notes, two of the most popular ones. And it's just the ugliness and, and and just... It's almost impossible to describe them, but they show trench warfare. And it's like these photos could have been ripped from World War I. Trench warfare in World War I was obviously just Horrific. And there's these muddy trenches, and there are troops just coated in mud, standing in water in weather that is very cold. And there's a photo of the landscape, and where there used to be trees, artillery, because these lines don't move, so there's constant shelling happening, basically in the same area. All of these trees have been cut down, basically, by machine guns and artillery fire, and so there's um you know there's it's like a denuded landscape no tree no limbs no leaves no grass the ground has been all blown up um it's just mud nothing but mud and muddy guys guys and gals i assume but mostly guys probably but just muddy people in wet muddy trenches and there were a lot of people that were posting photos from world war one and honest to goodness Other than the helmets and the weapons they're carrying, it looks almost no different. And uh, folks were talking about how, you know, that war was all the way back to like 1914. So like a 100 years later, nothing's really changed. When you really boil war down to its like bare minimum, nothing's really changed. So I wanted to mention that. Obviously keep your thoughts and prayers on those who are having to deal with that. Um, I will say... You know, when we went into Albania in 97, we were going in as a light force and we weren't allowed. We had to carry a ton of ammo, including uh, we were operating in a anti-armor environment. The uh, There were some tanks there, and so we didn't necessarily have good air cover. So they were worried that tanks might hit us. So we had to carry in these AT-4s and we carried basically we were only allowed to carry ammunition and um, lots of ammunition and these anti-tank rockets, um, three per fire team, if I remember right. So four guys would carry three of them, and the other guys carrying a lot machine gun, and you're all carrying ammunition for the lot machine gunner. So we were only allowed to bring a uh, like a what, like a Gore-Tex outer liner, no cold weather gear. And it was probably, I would say, 30s or 40s. It rained for like two days, but we dug in. And we were standing in water, and so the temperature was probably similar. And I'm telling you, two days of that was the longest two days of my life. And of course, there's boredom, and then there's times of just complete sheer um, terror, the times we would take fire. And so there are times where time slows down, and then there's times where when there's no action, you're just wet, you're muddy, there's nowhere to lay down we were laying in mud it's it was horrible and so i dealt with that for just 2 days and let me tell you that was incredibly challenging and the amount of calories you burn out there and just the the boredom it's easy to let your guard down it's difficult to stay awake at night it's difficult to sleep when you're not on watch it's it's just miserable and so the the folks on that frontline right now, or, or just, they're really going through some challenging stuff, so if you want to see those photos, you can go look at them, uh, and I wanted to mention at least one other thing about Ukraine. Uh General Mark Hartling wrote a bit of a thread about what Ukraine is facing, and he went into the challenges about, there's a, re- into the historical, you know, record of trench warfare, and they go. It goes back thousands of years, and he cites the one of the first recorded uh, records of uh, a trench being built and how hard it is to breach them, and he goes through kind of the... It's a great thread. I've got it linked in the source notes, so I'll, I'll let you read it. I don't want to give the whole thing away. But then he talks about the modern ways that the Army and, of course, the Marine Corps as well, how we practice breaching... Um, trenches and it's it is he calls it one of the most challenging military things to do and it it is certainly that just even on the small scale he talks about some of the higher scale stuff i went to the marine corps version of what they call a combined arms exercise out in the mojave desert we call them CAXs, c-a-x with a s on the end military acronyms they make no sense. So but anyway, uh I did three Caxes or combined arms exercises. And so at the at the small level that I was on, you know, typically you have air power and then some artillery and then the tanks eventually go forward. And you're going through areas that are mined and they're also obviously well sided in for enemy weapons, and then there's also concertino wire and all this stuff you gotta breach. In a perfect world and I'm not even sure uh, Ukraine has these, and I don't know that they do, although they may be getting them. The tanks provide the covering fire, and then a vehicle comes up, a tank with a special rocket-launched uh, weapon. And it'll shoot out this uh, rocket-slash-missile. slides goes out several hundred feet. It's got explosives along this long, trailing, almost like rope behind it. And then once it lands, everybody gets down, it blows up. And so you have this little lane you can run through. And they'll do that a couple of times to go through the minefield. But ultimately, what you eventually get to is the infantry got to do their part, which is what we had to practice a lot. And so there are big breaches that will use these small lanes because of these explosive charges. But eventually, the infantry got to do their job. And what we literally have to do, and we practice this and practice this and practice this, is you got guys, you you literally have platoons or squads that will be in firing positions that will be firing at the other trenches because you got to keep the enemy's heads down. And then you'll have an assaulting team or an assaulting squad or maybe an assaulting platoon that basically has to stay in each other's tracks so you don't step on more mines. And you got guys up front, it's, you can't make it up. You're literally probing for potential mines with a, um, bayonet held at 45 degrees trying to make sure no one steps on it hoping you don't set it off while you do it so you're crawling forward like like a you know you feel like a moron you're like this is is this would this work in real war or am i just supposed to blow up one while everyone else is laying down behind me and that way only one of us dies and then the next one goes regardless you're up there probing with a bayonet you work your way forward you keep sliding crawling guys are firing you got lieutenants and sergeants yelling at you because you're moving too slow you eventually get to the concertino wire. Concertino wire is usually got charges on it as well so you got a, a dude with a rope and literally just a hook on it you whirl it around your head while laying down you sling it over the concertino wire everyone gets down you're already down but you put your head down he yanks on it two three four times because usually there are charges that would be set off if that concertino wire is moved or yanked you wait for those to go off then you got to move forward and you can't really climb through concertina wire so unless you're going to do the old japanese thing where some guy jumps on the concertina wire and dudes run over your back you can't get through without hooking your gear and your clothes so you have to literally have the old-fashioned just bolt cutters you have to cut the concertina wire with thick gloves move it aside and then once that is done you now have a small gap You start to provide a base of fire, or maybe if your plans are, then you're the breach team. Ever how it's set up, people do it differently. You either breach the trench, you got to clear it like it's house to house warfare. Obviously, when you first enter it, there's a left and a right. You got to cover both sides, you got to know which way you're going, and then you got to literally clear the trenches inch by inch using grenades, covering your corners, etc more troops follow through the breach area that you created. And so this is something that the Marine Corps and the Army practices over and over and over at the large level, like I said, using tanks with breaching charges through anti-tank minefields down to the lower level where you have infantry trying to go through smaller minefields that have anti-personnel mines. And so he goes into detail that this is hard for super well-trained militaries who have experience such as the U.S. military, we have been doing this going back to at least World War One, probably further than that if you want to count the Civil War, where there were also trenches in some in some battles. But we we've we've had a hundred plus years to master this, and this isn't easy. I've done three of these month long exercises, and it's it's still ugly. It's not fun. Your base of fire, if they fire too quickly, then they start to run out of ammo, and the guys are stuck out there left high, and dry. There's so many ways to mess it up. And so he talks about how challenging it is, and that it's going to be very hard for Ukraine to break through this trench warfare on the east. Similarly, and there's a word I struggle to say, I apologize about that, but in the same fashion, in the south, near Kherson, the Ukrainians are going to have to cross a very wide river, the Dnipro River. And he goes into, he shows a couple of photos in this thread, how wide the river is. And he talks about in World War II how the U.S. Army really struggled to cross rivers. It is not easy to do, especially if it's opposed. And in many cases, now if it's a smaller stream or creek, you have these, um, basically these tanks that can lay down these connecting bridges and you can roll across. Well, that doesn't work on a really big one. So then you can either bring in like pontoon bridges that have to be connected and, you know, they float and this can take some time it takes a lot of rehearsal to do that right but i'm not sure that ukraine has enough of those like the us army does and i think probably the marine corps does but i, I wasn't in that unit but so what you usually have to do is you actually have to use rubber boats just like the old days and you got to literally paddle them across, across quietly usually at night to try to get a foothold um but it is a very challenging operation to pull off. And no matter how they try to do it, it's not going to be easy to do. So pushing to the south through Kherson, they've got the capital city, but going further, not going to be easy to do. And so in the short term, there's probably not going to be a ton of news coming out of Ukraine because neither of these things are easy to do. And so we'll probably continue to hear about attacks from Russia hitting electrical and water um, infrastructure. We'll hear more about getting anti-air uh you know weapons systems in place and i just don't think there's going to be a whole lot of news now on the bright side the ukrainians have much higher morale they're fighting for their country their troops are better trained and their troops are increasingly better armed so i don't foresee any major setbacks i still feel long term they're gonna they're gonna win as and i know i'm still sort of in the minority on that but i think they're gonna take back all their land. But as I've said in several episodes throughout the past months, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in Russia. Uh, I think if Putin continues to feel pressure, you know, at some point he may he may realize that this whole Ukraine thing is not necessarily in his best interest. Interest. I should have um, dug a little more on it, but I saw that if you recall a few months ago, we uh, not we Ukraine struck the bridge that connected Russia to the Crimean peninsula and there was a lot of talk about how it happened or this or that but the reality is, is if you go research that now the bridge isn't as stable or usable as it used to be as a reminder it's both a tr- it's got rail for train and then it's also got um the highway part and so it's not as stable not as well used so the Russians are increasingly having to use barges and and boats to do a lot of the resupplying that they used to do so with the pressure at home with the challenges on the battlefield with the increasingly um, i guess lower value that the naval base on the crimean peninsula provided and what i mean by that is is if the russian navy they can barely leave their port they've had several ships sunk it might at some point hit Putin finally in his head to that. Hey, this isn't even hardly why why am I doing this? It's not worth the cost. So who knows if and when that will happen. But I really don't see at this point what he's getting from this anymore. There was also an article that talked about his um, waning influence with regional countries because Russia looks like such a joke he is increasingly just looking like a weak guy who has an almost incompetent military so at some point if if sanity prevails he might just decide that this is this isn't worth it that it's just not, the cost is not worth it i hope that's the case certainly for the ukrainian people and even for the russians who have no option but to be forced into some of these drafts and um are stuck on the front line and they're armed and clothed even worse than the Ukrainians and so all right so I've said a lot about that about Ukraine it's kind of the latest there Ukraine is I could talk about Ukraine forever because that's just the one thing that's always pretty heavy on my heart and that I read and keep up with more than any of the other stuff but definitely um, not going to see a lot of big news happening there just a lot of more suffering and a lot more of the Ukrainian people just going to have to stand firm and continue to keep up their morale as they go through what's going to be a cold winter and increasing issues with electric the electrical grid. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free, unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing, but you can sign up for free at my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, and that'll make sure you never miss any future episodes. Again, that's free. I will also say that people are, are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books in some series that they love sooner than what I'm currently doing. Believe me, the best way to support me or this show is by signing up for a paid subscription at my Substack page. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can sign up to support at Patreon. Again, that's Patreon. Or you can also find me on Venmo at Mitchell, Again, that's Mitchell. And I have links to both of those in the source notes or on my Substack page, which again is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Either of those options, if you're wanting to pay, are $5 per month, and you can cancel those at any time. The paid subscriptions provide a recurring monthly revenue, and that $5 a month is the fastest way that I'll be able to return to becoming a full-time author again, which means I'll have more time to write fiction, I'll have more time to cover the news even more in depth, and I'll be able to work even harder to try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things that I feel drawn to do, like strongly drawn to do. So of course you can also tell people about the podcast and there's even the option to give a gift subscription to a friend. You guys can also clearly tell people about my books, which many of you are already doing and I appreciate each and every one of you doing that. But I do wanna be very clear here, you don't have to do any of these things. I truly feel called to do this And I've already had tremendous support from people who've signed up to chip in a few bucks each month. You guys know who you are. I really do appreciate you. So trust me, you can sign up, come and go as you like. If you want to subscribe for a couple of three months, that's great. You can do that. As long as I'm making enough to cover the time I put into doing this show, then I'm not going anywhere. I love highlighting the sacrifices of our military. I love trying to unify the country. I love throwing cold water on these over-the-top exaggerations by extremist politicians and broadcasters. And honestly, I love knowing that I'm helping motivate and reach out to people who just need a little extra encouragement each week. So thanks so much for your support. And with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. All right, so let's move to Iran briefly. I am recording this at 9.51 a.m. on Wednesday, November 30th. And I just finished a search for Iran news, or Iranian news, I guess is probably the right way to say that, and there's almost nothing out there. There's plenty about the soccer team, of course, but uh, we talked about a week or two ago how challenging it is for any news to get out of Iran. They have clamped down all of the internet and various ways that in the West we communicate through social media, etc., and so it's very challenging for news to get out of Iran. Every now and then, they will have some video that often is moved by foot or car and taken to a country where it can be uploaded. And so we get news from that way sometimes. And sometimes some reporters are able to piece together some news by calling in. But again, as of Wednesday morning at about 9.50, there's not much that has literally happened since last week. So the protests continue The clampdown continues. No one really knows how that's going to end. About the only update is that the Iranian soccer team clearly has upset the Iranian government. They didn't sing the national anthem at the first soccer game. And there have been threats to the Iranian uh, players and potentially their family. So many of them, when they return home, assuming they return home, um, will at a minimum, be fined. Some will probably be arrested. And so I'm sure that um, there's a lot of uncertainty with them. But I know that Iran also has to probably watch how it handles this situation since many of these soccer players are heroes. So I will definitely do my best to keep everyone up to date on that. But as of this morning, they haven't returned home yet. And so if they return home, I don't know if some country might allow them asylum. I don't even know if... If it was offered, if they would take it, it would be very challenging to potentially leave when you know that the Iranians may do something to your family. So um, those soccer players are definitely in a challenging position. But again, not much happening in Iran, at least it's been reported. So we'll move from there to China. Now on China news, the U.S. government released a massive uh, report about China and its ambitions and its potential i guess desires to control slash reunify with Taiwan, I read an article or two about it, and I'm kind of a guy that likes to get in the weeds, and most of the articles say that it could some type of attack could begin as soon as next year. but to be honest, after getting through the articles. I wanted to dig more and the report's like 200 pages 200 pages long and I started reading through it and the more I read, the more I felt unprepared to discuss it. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to BS you guys and, and act like some kind of expert. I actually want to try to read more into that report. I've, I got about 40 pages or so into it. And it's kind of one of those things where there are parts of it that are really enlightening. And then there are parts of it that kind of feel to me like it's the government kind of, you know, CYA covering your butt, I'll say. Um, Because it kind of is almost like we want to make sure we put in writing that if something happens, we predicted it. But, you know, and I'm sure the State Department and other attorneys and other diplomats have watered it down because we don't want to push America into some kind of conflict or push China into doing something that... They still have the time and the options not to do. So I'm not sure how breaking news-ish that report is. Like I said, I just want to dig into it some more. And there's a chance I may dig into it some more and realize that it's mostly watered down and I may just hit a summary or two of it for the next episode. But I kind of want to sleep on it. I kind of want to think on it. And I kind of don't want to be just influenced by a couple of articles I read with some hot points from it. I really want to try to... I don't know. I want to try to get a better grasp. And a lot of times I like I like to try to just um I don't know. I just feel like if you search for the truth past the initial blaring horns, you can sometimes see things. And that's how I've always tried to do things when I ran my small little weekly newspaper. That's how when the Secretary of State said that the attack could happen sooner sooner, but then, you know, the Defense Department main spokesperson like the next day was like we're not seeing anything different. It's like sometimes you just gotta like just don't say anything and just kind of assess and listen and look and use your head and you realize you you just have bigger, better breakthroughs that way. In fact, that's one of the reasons I launched a weekly newspaper. I had worked at daily newspapers and I hate the daily deadlines. I hate that you had to like get something out. There was a deadline within like twenty minutes or an hour on some of those articles. And I mean you gotta obviously fill the newspaper and people want news, but when you do that, you can't really like chew on it, you can't reflect on it, you can't see things that people don't want you to see, or the the slot of hands. And so at any rate, I'm gonna try to get into that some before the next episode. And the other thing I wanted to say about China though, a couple of things. They obviously have been dealing with internal protest and I was reading some on that, and it's crazy how much courage it would take to protest in China. I mean, this is literally a country that, with what they've done to the Uyghurs, it is nothing for someone in China to come arrest you, take you away, and not tell your family a thing. And whether you come back or not, there's no guarantee on that. I mean, this is a country with absolutely no rights at all for the people. It has horrific human rights track record. And so anyone protesting is at unbelievable risk, especially since a lot of the jobs are, you know, some of them are from the government. So it's very, very challenging for intelligent people who, uh, who normally would be the leaders of some type of an uprising, or they are often very controlled by the government or by their position. And so, and I know to some degree that happens in any country when you have to have, when you stand up. And for what you believe in, whether it was our own revolution, there were a lot of people that put their entire personal lives, their safety and their livelihoods and their family wealth on the line. And some of them lost it. Um, So that happens in any country. But in China right now, it is so much worse because even in our own revolution, if you were captured by England, there was a trial. There was there were some laws. There were some rights. You know, there weren't many, but there were certainly some. That doesn't happen in China. And one of the articles I was reading talked about that uh, they're using cameras everywhere. And many of them have uh, facial recognition software. And so if you show up at one of these protests, they may not be able to control the protest in the short term, but they will come knock on your door later. And so there's that. But they're also, uh, the way their phones are set up over there, they are incredibly intrusive in their tracking and spying on Chinese citizens. So messages you send, they geolocate. Where were you? Were you at this place? Where Did you meet with someone? Did you go to this protest? And so after the fact, a lot of these protesters, a lot of the leaders who were trying to basically rally the people, they're being arrested. So again, we're not going to get a lot of news out of China about some of this stuff. More than likely, I would say the government has the power to crack down on this Um, so it's, uh, horrific to read about this stuff, but it's also just crazy. Some of the footage you'll see where, you know, Americans got so frustrated with lockdowns, myself included. I also saw the need for them. I wasn't like far right or far left, or I was pretty much in the middle. The, the COVID lockdowns, they sucked. Everyone knows they sucked. I'm not going to get into the debates of how much was needed or not needed. And with what we know now compared to what, what we knew then it was, Very scary at the time, obviously. But what's crazy is China has continued many of these lockdowns. And, I mean, we've all been going around free now for a year plus. But in China, the lockdowns have continued. And there's literally video of them welding doors shut to apartment buildings. And either you have enough food to survive or you don't. That's how crazy the lockdown is over there. And that's why you'll see videos of people screaming out of windows. There've been there's videos of people jumping out of windows to commit suicide. There are people like literally almost going insane because they have no freedom, and they can't get out of their buildings. They they can't get past these lockdowns. So there is a chance that, given how brave some of these uh, folks are for even protesting, that this what what is it now? Almost three years of lockdowns have. There is a chance that. Um, President Xi has miscalculated and perhaps pushed the people beyond the breaking point. So, who knows if these protests will grow and start to overpower the government. Ultimately, you know, when a country has massive military and police presence, in, on paper it can seem like nothing will ever happen. But in the end, every member of that military, every member of that police force, they're part of the society. And they have moms and dads and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters, friends, people back home. And so you can have on paper this massive military. You can have, you know, this force that seems unstoppable that could, in theory, clamp down or stop something. But they could also say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're done. They could even go so far as to join those people. This has happened across the Middle East. It's happened across history. And so, you guys know your history. You know this can happen. I'm not going to try to claim to be some expert on what is or isn't going to happen in China, but not a lot of news there. That's what I know. One other thing I did want to share about China, just real briefly, is this came. This comes from a retired General Mick Ryan, who was he was a retired Major General in the Australian Army, and he was actually writing this for Australia and. Obviously, he's from there, and he was talking about what Australia Australia needs to do. There you go. I mentioned earlier my speech issues. You guys got to hear one just then. So he was mentioning what uh, Australia should do as it tries to prepare for the future, and they're doing some defense reviews, and they're mainly looking at air power and sea power, and he makes the point that, you know, we need to also make sure that our ground forces, our army is good because right now they're not really focusing on that too much. But he makes a great point that I didn't think about. I've got a link to the thread, but buried in this thread of his that he wrote, sharing his thoughts, was that during the Cold War with Russia, the U.S. and NATO, we were prepared for a European land war, and we were prepared for some type of nuclear conflict. Those were the two big things. Those were the things we rehearsed. Those were the things where the lines were clearly drawn. But then he goes into, actually, neither of those things happened. But there were a lot of other things that happened. And so he makes the point in this article and in this he wrote an article and then there's also a thread, but he makes the point that while everyone is focused on Taiwan and Chinese, China's influence there, there is a chance because Taiwan is a big, I mean, that's a tough nut to crack. It's a huge island. You got to cross, you know, like a hundred miles of water. It's like an invasion there is not going to be easy. It's going to be very risky. And so he makes the point that there is a chance that we're all focused on whether this is going to happen in Taiwan or not. And we may miss the fact that there may be skirmishes or some type of cold war that involves other islands, other countries, or some type of conflict that happens there. And so that just hit me like a brick. And I was like, wow, he's absolutely right. We're all focused on Taiwan. But the reality is, maybe it'll happen in Vietnam, maybe the Philippines, or maybe other countries where the friction with China starts to escalate or boil over and then our forces End up getting involved. So I did want to share that because I thought that was pretty insightful. And with that, given where the clock is, given the fact I've got a regular day job that starts in about an hour, I'm going to have to cut it off there. So we will move to the best part of the episode anyway, which is the motivation and wisdom. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap. They don't work. And I frankly completely disagree. And one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out. And certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college, or or to where they probably wanted to get in life. Because it's hard to be around people that don't believe, that suck the energy out of you, or that are just beaten down by life, or poverty, or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures, or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that you know people say, motivation doesn't last but i think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go and you know i believe all of us can reach our dreams and i definitely want to do my part to help you get there so that's why i put these in every week it's my hope that they really help you you know people say motivation doesn't last well neither does bathing and that's why we recommend it daily and that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So, that's why I try to put these in every week. So, I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. As I say every week, I'm just going to read these. You can find um the source in the source notes, the source of these quotes, apologies. Um and if you want to follow these uh folks, there's some great people to follow on Twitter. That's where almost all of them come from. So, the first one is a quote from the legendary basketball coach john wooden and he uh for those who don't remember he was a coach for ucla and during one 12-year period he won seven national championships in a row and no other team has won more than four in a row but uh, he's obviously a legend that probably many of you have heard of but the quote is from john wooden do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do Again, do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Next one. Remember to always be thankful for the bad things in life. They open your eyes to the good things you weren't paying attention to before. Again, that's remember to always be thankful for the bad things in life. They open your eyes to the good things you weren't paying attention to before. Next one. 99% of things you worry about never happen. Very true. Next one. Never lose faith. Keep working hard. You'll find a way. Next one. It's never too late to start. You are never too old. Next one. Maybe you're not tired. Maybe you're just exhausted from putting your whole heart and efforts into people and places that aren't interested in you. That's a deep one. Again, maybe you're not tired. Maybe you're just exhausted from putting your whole heart and efforts into people and places that aren't interested in you. Next one. Guard your big goals from small thinkers. I love that one. Guard your big goals from small thinkers. Next one. One day you're going to look back and be so glad you didn't quit. Love that one. Here's another quote. Patience is not the ability to wait But the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Again, that is patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. That's pretty deep. Next one. Confidence is silent. Insecurities are loud. Another really deep one. Again, it is confidence is silent. Insecurities are loud. So many examples I could use with that one. Next one, everything will come to you at the perfect time. Again, that is, everything will come to you at the perfect time. Overthinking is one of the biggest causes of unhappiness. Again, it is, overthinking is one of the biggest causes of unhappiness. Next one, don't overshare, everyone is not your friend. It's a good one too. Don't overshare, everyone is not your friend. Next one. Pain is a powerful motivator. Again, pain is a powerful motivator. Don't we all know someone who like, uh, at some point, they, they just say, I'm sick and tired of whatever it is. I'm sick and tired of being in debt, or I'm sick and tired of not having energy, or I'm sick and tired of whatever. Sometimes it literally just takes pain. It just takes hitting rock bottom before you finally start to address something. So, That's a good quote. Pain is a powerful motivator. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a -a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my Substack, .substack stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's Mitchell. Dot substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide, so I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books, because honestly, the airspace is free, and also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you, so I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but Folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think got some organized crime in it loads of action a couple of cops die before the end of book one and if you love that as much as i think you will there's also a book two book one is called takedown book two is called gravel road and it may have one of the longest most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read i get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what um the Prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Acuff, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well. And it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On... And I talk about, or I write about, the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So, it, really, the book is it's it's pretty deep, and so it the it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and i think you know i've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then i've also got a realistic war novel about afghanistan it's called hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and They get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um, And then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is actually it's a part biography, part self-help all-inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals? where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And Besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as... I'll throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So, I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some, and I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you, kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking, how he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge, like, two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above, and it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough, and so... It's the first one will be on him and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration, it's self-help type stuff. And so, you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents and I could go for on for m- probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But, again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, And the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. So I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway. But for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much. And with that, I am out.